Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. This week on Unpacked, we're talking to Nels Nuderbeck, former social worker, Lake Ridge member, Chestermere resident, and a wise friend. Over the past year, I've had a great chance to get to know Nell, and I couldn't be more grateful for it. Nell and I jump into discussing her life story as an immigrant to Canada, about motherhood, and her journey towards becoming a social worker and serving her community. We talk a little bit about how she learned some progressive views on life, Jesus, and the church. I hope you enjoy, and make sure to like, share, and subscribe. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to jump in. Did, did you get a chance to see the email that Tara sent you yesterday? Just about some of the, like, I did, I did. Good. I went through it and we had a big discussion this morning with Bill and myself about certain things and my worldview and that sort of stuff. <laughs> you, it didn't end in any, you know, uh, dish rags getting thrown or anything like that. No, 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 no. We respect each other's view up to a certain extent. <laughs> he comes from a different perspective. And I know in 57 years of living with each other that you realize what one, well, the way one looks at a world and the way the other looks at a world is, has to do a lot with well, various things. Yeah, and I, I think that's even like honestly, that's a little bit of what do we want to get at is you know how did you, how did you come? Because I, I to be honest with you, I don't even know how old you are. How how old are you? I'm seventy nine. So, in the seventy nine years, you know, you've come to have, um, in the seventy nine years, you've come to have a fairly progressive perspective on a lot of topics. And, mm -hmm. and so I remember that from the very first time that we uh, had coffee together. I think I, went, I came to your house and we had coffee. That's and right. I left that day going, oh, that, that lady is, is not what I expected at all. In a good way, in the very best of ways, to be honest with you. And so. Well, even, if, even in sometimes I've rubbed people the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, and that's know. a little what I want to get at today. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've got my own point of view, and uh, my mother always used to say, don't let them eat the cheese off your bread. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> that. There you go. Tara's writing down the quotables, and definitely that is a quotable right there. <laughs> don't let them eat the cheese off your bread. I like it. So when Tara and I were talking yesterday about what we would want to talk to you about, one of the, one of the first things we, we realized was we don't know very much about you when you were a kid. We, we don't know what, where you grew up, what that was like. Was that a rural environment, an urban environment? You know, all of those kinds of things. So, so that's really my first question is just what, what was your life like when you were growing? You know, just tell us a little bit about what, what you experienced as a little girl. 
Well, I'm the eldest of three children. Um, I grew up in Holland. Uh, well, I, I was born in Holland. Let's put it that way. I was born during the war years in 52, 42. So uh, I think that would already puts me in place. Don't forget, I grew up in the uh, Reformed or the Reformeerde Kerk. Uh, so um, I was baptized as a child. In fact, I was brought to church as, an, as a child to be early baptized. My parents very felt strongly about that, that they present me to the congregation and to God and ask God's help and assistance in raising me. That was really something my parents really discussed with us quite often. So I grew up in a, in a Christian, what we could call a Christian home. Um, my parents were older. That also has an impact on me. My parents knew each other for 10 years or engaged for nine. Um, and um, so I, my father was 39 when I was born. And so my mother was 36. So living with older parents who have experience in life, I think makes a difference too. And then we immigrated. We had, mom and dad both had large families. Um, I was eight when we immigrated to Canada after the war in 52. Um, it was not an easy thing. Um, I went to Christian school in Holland. I shortly went to Christian school here in Canada, but then we moved into what was called Beverly, just outside of Edmonton. So yeah, that's part of it. I've had a good life really as a child. Uh, I mean, it wasn't, we didn't have much money and there was lots of, you know, I mean, we came from a city in Holland. Uh, we weren't here out in the boonie sort of thing. Um, we came to Canada and uh, the first place we lived in was a, a one bedroom walk up in South Edmonton, just up White Avenue. And, uh, Having come from a large home where I had my own bedroom and we had running water, although it was cold water, uh, paved streets, and then moving into Beverly where uh, we had an outhouse, no running water. <laughs> That's quite a change. So when you were a little, when you were a little girl, eight years old, was was coming to Canada exciting or was it scary? Was it sad? Like when you think emotion wise, like how did how did you see all that? Was it a great adventure or was it what here's what I've lost? It was an adventure. Uh, I mean, don't forget Canada, especially after the Second World War in Holland, was um, the we were liberated by the Canadians, oh. right? They were held in on honor. They still are. No room for everybody after the war years. So immigration was something that was exciting. It was a new beginning. And a lot of people wished that. And especially my father, who not only looked at Canada at his age, he was 40. Eight when we immigrated. Uh, I figured that math out already. I was—he was my age. 
Uh-huh. Talking with people, somebody suggested to my dad, go to Canada, go to Edmonton. Um, the Christian Reformed Church helps people there. So it was, yeah, it was exciting. My biggest fear, I can go back and say that was while we were on the train, because nowadays you think of the train having, um, you know, lunch room and all that sort of thing, nice sleeping beds and all that. Well, we didn't have that. You slept on the benches. Um, you, when we stopped, we would, the families would get out and quickly run to whatever was available by the train station and get food. Um, we lived on milk and bread for off and on, right? I was always afraid while we were on the train that the, the people that were getting off would be left behind because they only had a certain amount of time before the train would pull out. So that was my biggest fear. Also on the on the on the ship itself, I mean the people were segregated. My father slept with the men up in the one hold, and the women and children were in the other hold. But I felt safe while I was on the on the on the ship. I didn't really feel safe when I was on. So the it was train. more. Um, it was more a fear of being left behind. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I would lose somebody. And if I look back now, I can see that I lost my my aunts and uncles. Right. Mm. Uh, I did lose something. So yeah. Learning a new language, finding your pecking order. I not quite a few heads together before people would leave. So you you immigrate. You're eight years old when you get here, um, and and you grow up. And what what line of work did you go into right away? Like so, maybe we should maybe we should clarify. So what if I asked you what did you do for a living? What would be your answer? What did I do for a living? I was a mother, a housewife, a helpmate. Um, those are the first important things to me, right? Uh, it's also part of my time. I think if you would ask your mother too, the most important thing, once after you got married, the most important thing was your family, right? If you've got children, that was your most important thing. I don't think as women in my day and age, you were identified with your work as much. Um, so you were identified as a married woman. And then when you had children, really the first thing they, you, you experienced, and, and I had a bit of a hard time with that. First thing that you experienced were that you were a mother. Now, mothering doesn't come to me easily, okay? It is a lot of work, and I respect that. But the one thing I had trouble with is that it, it kept me at home. It closed me in. Maybe that's a funny thing to say, because I had expected that motherhood would open new horizons for me. But I found that... It enclosed me. I was certain there were certain expectations of me, 
and I have been stimulated in, in, in my learning and I have been stimulated with my, with my interaction with other people. And I found that being at home was very enclosing. Um, so that's one thing I did struggle with. And, and the concept that all at once, because you be, have a child, you, you know how to mother. You don't. It's a, it's a lifelong thing. I wonder, I wonder if Tara has anything to say about that. I, yeah, I can very much relate. It's actually very comforting hearing you say that because that has been my experience so far too. So I'm curious. I'm sure you'll, you'll say it a little bit more, but I would love to hear like, what shifted for you or how did that change? How did it shift for me? Well, we had a pastor at the time who um, made especially stay-at-home moms feel worthwhile. And he would have sermons on that, strange to say. He made us as women staying home, he seemed to understand, well, he had a family himself, right? And a young wife and, 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 and quite a few children. And somehow he made it seem that our, our giving up certain things still made our life as mothers and wives worthwhile. I've, um, I've often uh, said this in in the past and and really I think it came from Kristen she she got me on to thinking this way but um, that in a lot of ways women in particular mothers have um, a unique relationship with Jesus because they they understand in deeper ways what it means to sacrificially give that that they they have an intuition to sacrifice it all for their children. And, and I, as a dad, I would love to say that that's how I, I am and how I feel and all those things, but I'd really like them to be quiet, quiet while I'm watching the game. And I would really prefer that they left me sleep through the night. And I, you know, all those kinds of things. And yet I, I watch as my wife makes, consistently makes sacrifice instinctively. Whereas I have to choose to get up off the couch or to, to go out of my way to make sure that I'm making a sacrifice, that I'm sacrificing in healthy ways for my, for my children. But she does it, she does it instinctively. And I think Jesus was very similar in, in that fashion. And yet the heart of a mother, the heart of a mother, even though it's maybe challenging and, and maybe even not natural at first, it's instinctual. It's still instinctual to do it. And, and, to, and men aren't, I shouldn't be so blanket in my statement in that, but. No, not a hundred percent. I think, I think they, I think it goes more in, in, in their work, right? They go out to work and they bring in the bacon, so to say, all right? You can't, your family can't do without that financial. So I could choose more in where I wanted to go. Now, I didn't start out as a social worker. I started out as a nursing aide. I wanted to be a nurse. I had an aunt who I loved dearly and who was a nurse in Holland. Uh, she was a community nurse. 
She also delivered children. Uh, so, and, and she would have stories about some of the things. And so she was my hero. And so I was going to be a nurse, but I got sick. Uh, I was quite anemic in grade 10. And in that day and age, you, you know, you had, uh, you went to school and, and you took certain courses. And then um, if you, yeah, if you failed in a course, qualifications for it, you, you had to retake that course. And so uh, I got to grade 11. And because I needed one more course to get into that program, I would have had to take a whole year of schooling again. So I became a nursemaid before I got married. But then, yeah, when I got married, um, yeah, kind of the attitude in our community at the time was once you got married, you stayed home. Then after um, our son was born, I thought I could get uh, him. And then he was starting school at age, well, he was going to start school at age six. Then I was going to go into nursing. Lo and behold, I was pregnant with Rose. So, and then <laughs> uh, Rose was three and my mother came down with cancer. And so I became her caregiver, her translator, and that sort of thing. So, <laughs> so then afterwards, I always volunteered a lot in the community, and I went to social services as a volunteer. I had some choices, and one of the things was they were starting a new program with people who had become isolated in the community, uh, generally older folks. And worked for quite a while in that. And then um, the social worker I was working with was going to leave. And Bill sort of said, you could run that program yourself. Why don't you, you know, go into, why don't you look and to see if you can become a social worker? And I said, oh, come on. I've got a grade 11. Why would I go into that sort of thing? I, you know, I'd have to go back to school. And kind of challenged me in, Huh, well, why don't you try it, right? And I was very apprehensive in trying it, but uh, Graham McEwen at the time had courses for mature students, right? So I took, uh, I took that course and um, I, I did really well. I loved it. I mean, all things opened up, all new ideas, all new ways of a worldview of looking at things, uh, debating things. So, uh, how old would you? How old you would you have been at that time? Now, in my thirties, I got my my BSW, my Bachelor of Social Work, when I was I, I finished when I was fifty. Okay, okay. And so, what? So, one of the questions that we sent you in advance was, how did that? How did that occupation and the stories around that occupation shape your your growing relationship with God? What did that look like, or 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 is that where you would say it even this happened? Well, no, I think it goes back further. We always coming from the background from the from the well here we would say the coc back the christian reform background but coming from the reformed background we always the carparian view was always this is my father's world mm -hmm. it belongs to my father right 
a God with my father. He loves this world. And, and your work, God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it was good. But they worked. They didn't sit around doing nothing. He named the animals. Your work was important, right? So when you, and I'm okay, as a woman, especially in my day and age, my, my, the things I could choose to be part of weren't always, aren't as, as, as open as they are now. I mean, you can choose to be this, choose to be that. If they were limited. I mean, yeah, you were what a secretary, a social, or uh, went into nursing, or you were limited. So I didn't like filing stuff. I, my mind doesn't work that way. I didn't like typing. I felt like throwing the typewriter through the window. Um, <laughs> I mean, I feel strong about stuff, but it just so. And then I had my aunt who was. You know, who was my hero, right? So it it was it fit. And then when I to tell you the truth, it yeah, how would I put it? I when I look back, God leads me. It might be a strange thing. I know I make choices, right? I mean it's there. But if I look back in my life in everything. I, I can only come to the God, conclusion God made me. Mm. God's always placed people on, on my pathway in many ways too that, that have kind of opened up life to me, like my family doctor. Well, I, I, think, I think being able to identify this thread of God's leading um, is first of all, an incredible gift. And I think that it is a gift that comes with age. I think so. You look back, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I can't look ahead. I'm human. You look back, right? And and yeah, I think you identify things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Moments. So I have a question for you about your occupation then. So you find yourself a social worker. Um, mm -hmm. So if I've if I've done the math right, you find yourself a social worker in the late 80s and, and through the 90s. Is that right? Well, I, um, I took my diploma course and then I got a job working with, uh, with a, a seniors group um, as program coordinator. Then Bill started his own business and so I uh, quit taking, but I was still taking night courses at the university to get into their bachelor social work program. So because I had to qualify for university, right? And uh, then I, uh, I took care of the office work at his business for a while. Uh, it really told me I was not going to be a good secretary. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I don't follow his firing <laughs> thinking very well. So, so here, here's my question for you. Once you find yourself a social worker, 
what what are is there a story or a time when you bumped up against a pretty major cultural issue that challenged your faith where you had to go what is my core belief about god here so rather than this is the way and you've heard me describe this before that it's like we've got our foundational things that we believe to be true of god and then we have all the things that we think are right or wrong or however we want to we want to work that and I think that sometimes in our culture, what ends up happening is we make a determination about the thing that's right or wrong, and we call it a foundational belief. So, so like this is a mis—it's a—it's a mistake. It's a big mistake, but but for me, even that's been one of the hard things. I think in my youth, in my younger even years as a pastor, I'd be willing to say LGBTQ matters. Those, right? These right? These are, these are foundational things. I believe this is foundational until I start encountering the stories of people and the struggle. And I build relationships with people that, that are in, in, the, in that particular community. And then I all of a sudden have to say, no, foundationally, I believe God created us in his image and his likeness that he breathed the spirit, right? Like I've talked about before. And so this, this, this question no longer becomes foundational to me. What's foundational is I believe God loves all that he has created. So I'm wondering like for you as you, because you've come, you've come, I am assuming the little girl in Holland who grew up in a, in a conservative thing, even, even the Christian reform movement is a pretty conservative bunch. And as I've engaged you in our Zoom calls and our different things, you have a strong theological perspective on some things that I, I appreciate. I very much appreciate. But you've, you've also managed, and we've teased you and Bill about this, you've also managed to have this incredible heart for how, how does the how do humans interact? How does God engage us at a heart level, but also at an intellectual level? And that's, that is something that I believe had to have grown over time and had, there had to have been some moments of, of real tension for Nell. When did Nell have to say, Nope, this is what I believe to be true of God. These are secondary things. How did you come to some of these beliefs that you have? in the tension. I'm assuming there was tension. There had to have been. <laughs> yes and no. You see, see, in Holland, it was a little different. My father believed and believed, and, and, and I find that's a basic belief, that this is my father's, this is my, my God's world, right? And, and work, arts, all those kind of things are there because God placed them. We, we go, okay, there were lots of rules and regulations, right? You, you, you couldn't dance, you couldn't go, you couldn't ride a bike on Sunday. I mean, all these rules and regulations are there, but my parents never had that, you see? So, I came from a slightly different background. 
mainly because my father had traveled such a lot. He danced. He loved dancing. I grew up in a household where it wasn't a question of, is that wrong and is that wrong? What's your heart like? That was already there. The choices I made, and I think flowed out of that, um, there was a world that was wide open to us. It's God's world. But you have to make choices. And those choices can lead you into areas where you don't want to be. So that, that kind of flowed out of there. And I think the big choice came, the awareness was there, but the big choice came when I was a social worker and the AIDS epidemic came out. I was a community social worker, so I was with home care. And these people were dying, and many of them were home, right? And so the question came up of, uh, are we going to go in there? Mm. And that was quite a discussion in, in, our, in our group, because we had our home care nurses, we had our, I was one social worker on that, um, our physiotherapist, our occupational therapist, our, our whole team uh, discussed that. And some of us were from Christian backgrounds. And decision was made as a team at that point in time that we were to minister to them. We need, they needed us. We could have opted out. Uh, that was one of the things we could do. Mm. And um, I didn't think that was a choice for me. Mm. not going to help them, even though we might not have agreed. Just because we were scared we were going to get AIDS, right? Mm -hmm. um, that was just not an option to me. It, it, people needed us, and I met fantastic people. Mm. Right? Men living together, men caring for each other. They were fantastic people in that. They really were. Mm. And I'm happy I made that choice, or our, our team made that choice. Yeah. I met some really fantastic people in my, in my time. And would I, did I agree with their choices? Not at all. Would I have condoned their choices in my, in my family, in my own life? Probably not. But they were there. You saw the human. When you hear what they've gone through and what they've experienced, you realize that, could I have done that? If I that had, had happened to me. And you look at the backgrounds. Well, and I think, I think too, to add to that, it's like, if you can't, you, you miss out on a massive part of the story of, of their lives, right? Like I, I've found that, um, you know, when I talk about evangelism with people, um, I, I posted this uh, and, and pastors didn't like it, but, but they were asking me if there was an, a, a particular evangelistic tool that that 
they would suggest that I would suggest. It was on a Facebook group, so they're asking a whole group of people, and I posted on there and just said, "This is going to sound like so simple that it's going to sound sarcastic, but I think probably like choosing to listen to the stories of your neighborhood and to be in your neighbors' homes." would be a really great start to doing evangelism well. And it was really interesting. Um, we got, you know, then people can comment underneath of your comment. And I, and I did have a few, a few, you know, likes who people who agreed. And, and then I had somebody say, yeah, well, that's, that's good in principle, but, you know, I'm not sure I can convince my people to do that. And yeah, it was devastatingly hard to read. I just was like, then they're not the church. I, I don't know what to say that if, if you can't listen and you can't make room. And this is what I would say is in my younger years, I had made a decision about what was, who was right and who was wrong and who was on the right side of the, of the law. And I mean, law meaning biblical law and who wasn't. And what I've realized was I put all kinds of gates up on giant portions of people's stories. And, and in my last you know, 15 to 20 years of ministry, I started realizing I need to be the kind of person who opens the gates so that I can speak and hear and listen. And I realized I was, I was not only the gatekeeper, but I was the gate. <laughs> me personally and my biases and and that if i could just set set them aside and hold the principle of listening and doing what jesus did uh, that is to love people where they're at that all of the sudden not only did i have a chance to speak into people's pains and hurts but i got a chance to be a part of their healing i i basically have have just discovered that the true freedom of Christ and what that really looks like. And it's, it's a whole lot less fearful, like being scared of God and a whole lot more um, joy and freedom and laughter and story and all of those things. And then to realize what people have been through. It's, you, see, you see, when I find when you have a church community, my experience has been in a church community, that they put walls up, right? They've got all, you've got this rule and that rule and that rule, and now you're a good person. You're going to go to heaven. I can't find that because my world changes all the time. And, and I believe the gift of everlasting life is a gift. I have to unwrap it, right? The social work thing was you've got an onion and then you start peeling it. Your tears run, right? You get, your hands get filthy. Uh, it's a lot of work. That's what life is like. You peel off layers of yourself too, but you have to learn how to, to cry with the world. What are, what are the places in your life that you have been brought to tears? Generally by the church. Because I have different expectations of it. Hmm. 
with its limitations, with its rules and regulations, with its inability to comfort others, to, to see people. It's an interesting thing that, you know, I asked you what has brought you to tears the most in your life, and you said the church. And, and ultimately described the closedness of the church. And I, I think that's um, truthful and tragic, um, b- both of those things. I think it's soaring. I think our God sorrows about mm-hmm. that. That his body here on earth, that his place to minister to others, to, to heal as Christ did, right? To go to the brokenhearted and those sorrowing that we in many ways have not been open to that. An, an unwillingness to feel for others. Mm-hmm. What, I've, what I've learned about you and appreciate so much about you is your ability to be, be authentic and honest about how you see things and then and then to to help bring other people along in this like even though i think that like you said like you said you you haven't always been the you know the the nicest all the time as you've gone through things but but you have a you have a gift of speaking truth to people and having them hear you and even when you're saying things that are actually sound pretty radical uh, in in some circles, you still have this way of challenging people's hearts, which hopefully will will ignite their mind. And that has been one of the most beautiful things I've learned about you this year is is to watch you do that. And and I've teased you and Bill about it in that 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 it's like, I can see that Bill wants to come with the, the theology and the, the intellect. And, and I appreciate that. And then I, but I really do. But then as I hear the two of you on a call sitting next to each other, he says things like that. And you bring in this like beautiful heart for what it means to be in a, in a, in an authentic relationship with God. And, and, I think we need more of that in the church in, and, and not, not one or the other, but both together. And, and I, I think that's been one of the things that I've most come to appreciate about both you and Bill, your marriage, the things that you bring to Lake Ridge. It's a, it's an incredible gift. And, um, and I, I, I like the kind of sneaky people that I, that I, I look at them and I go, I've decided what that person's like. And then I find out how wrong I am. I love that actually. <laughs> and, well, I do too. and that's what, I mean, that's what you've been to me in every sense of the way. It's like, every time I talk to you, I go, she is not what people think <laughs> in the best of ways. Oh, no, uh, I never have been, I guess. I mean, well, it's, 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 I mean, when people are really truthful, when they get to know each other, right, and, and you're really truthful to each other, and you feel you can say certain things, I mean, then you find a uniqueness in people, right? Yeah. You all at once 
realizes another another side to them. And I like meeting both sides and people because we're all unique. Mm -hmm. And we all have you might you might classify somebody as something, you know, this is the kind of person they are. And then when you get to know them, all at once you have these little quirks in people. And and I think too it's like when I look back even at the last well, the last year, but but long, long before that, I think one of the things that I, I occasionally lament is my, my deep longing to be liked has become, become at times more important than, my, than being brave. Well, and that's true with myself, too. Hmm. I'm only brave in situations where I feel I have support of others. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not always brave, but we were, Bill and I were talking today too, and he said, well, you were brave in the time that we were trying to put a young, uh, or we had, I was one of the leaders of an of a outreach group, and that was church, in the church itself, right? And the kids were coming and we were picking up kids. And I mean, one day I had 25 kids in our station wagon and couldn't make it up to be about the church. And we realized that when I was working with social services, all at once, there was an area where we were picking up a lot of kids and they had, uh, it was a low income area. And uh, there was a house available, or there was supposed to be a community building available, but nobody there to run it. Mm. And uh, we had, a, well, you know, outreach group, uh, evangelism sort of thing, right? We were had a lot of kids from outside the community, from the community. And uh, I talked with our team at that time. We had an elder of evangelism which, you know, it's a job this man, poor man had. And my thing was, I, uh, I went to social services and I said, you know, I got $1,000 for a program. And it, it's maybe looking after, after young kids and kids programs. Um, would you support us in getting into this facility? And well, the question was, well, what would you do? Well, I said, well, this is our program. We teach, we teach values. We talk about God's, the Bible. We're a Christian program. Uh, this is what we do. Um, so I was very straightforward. And some of the people said, oh, don't tell them about it. Just go in there and do it. And I said, no, we're going to let them know what we do. Oh, you'll never get in. Well, um, we did get him. They gave us clothes, even though we were Christian background. But they wanted our values and morals in that area. So the sad part was I had more trouble convincing our elders and deacons, or our elders really, that the program was worthwhile than I had trouble on the outside. Right. First of all, I was a woman. I could not go to council meeting and sit in. Mm. So I had to work through my elder 
But I was the one that was in connection with Edmonton Housing and social services. I sat outside, and Bill and I still laugh about it. I sat outside in the hallway while my elder tried to, of evangelism, tried to tell them about the program. Mm. Now, I could have walked out, but as Bill says, your goal was important, right? My goal was to get in there. And I felt more sorry for my elder of evangelism, who at times had to come out and ask me the questions that were being directed at him than, than myself. I thought it was hilariously funny that they, these guys sitting in there were too, I don't know, just why you could have a woman into the council room, right? <laughs> Why well, would contaminate the bloody place? But, but you were more than they were more than willing to let you go and do all the work. You just couldn't come in the room. <laughs> That's right. But I felt terrible for for Ed, Ed Whitten at the time because he was a really good good man. That he had to walk back and forth. They made him walk back and forth to ask me some of the questions that he didn't have the answers to. Well, it could have been so much more much simpler to have me in the room. Now, my minister, our minister at the time, was very upset about that. I must say that. Mm. So I had his support, right? Was I brave? No, I was just too darn stubborn at the point in time to say, I'm going to back off on this. I, I think... <laughs> I think bravery and stubbornness look pretty similar. Maybe <laughs> oh man, this has been this has been so much fun. Um, I'm so glad that it worked out, and we we've been talking about trying to to get you on to record something with you for some time, and we might have to do it again. I think there's a few other topics. Oh well, Tara will find all the good parts and pull them out. But but I just um, I want to I think I want to close by saying this. I am so grateful for the life that you've lived, for the way for the way that you have chosen to share it with us, for the for the humor that you bring, but mostly for just this true authentic heart of God that we get to see in you.